Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. I'm not even on the other line, though. I'm sitting across the table in your hotel room from you, surrounded by I'm your sorry. personal effects. I know it's kind of a late on a Sunday night, and you're a little bit discombobulated. You're not sure where you are it's right now. It's been a long weekend, man. Bear with me. Hey, I understand. Um, but here's the first thing, and that's a great sound effect so we can get the Diet Coke cracking <laughs> live on the episode. Um, you know, we're taught as writers not to bury the lead, right? And I've also subscribed to the Greg Popovich mentality and, you know, the LeBron James mentality of winning with class, losing with class. And right. I want to make sure I still take the high road. But I do feel like <laughs> in this situation, we can't bury the lead here. I mean, we had some pretty extended, ongoing debates about the All-Star teams, you know, Team LeBron, Team Steph, and, you know, we all saw what happened on the court tonight. So do you want to run down exactly what happened, uh, or maybe I should do that? Yeah, I mean, we can run it down. Look, because I, I think you're patting yourself on the back. No, no, not being, doing that. No, we're, no, no. Winning with class. <laughs> I know, you're congratulating yourself for your class, and I appreciate that. I almost responded to somebody on Twitter who was wondering why you weren't... Uh, gloating more and I said look Ben Ben is a, a follower of the Spurs way it's not in his nature to gloat but I want you to know that I'm also taking the high road here mm, because okay. if we're really breaking down the game if uh -huh. we really want to take it seriously team Steph was by far the superior squad uh. <laughs> but for one detail okay did you happen to notice James Harden's entry no, you're not in gonna, the box you're, you're score? Not, you're not going to do this. You're not going <laughs> to pin the whole thing on Harden. Because first Yo. of all, you said the best GM was Steph. He picked this underrated, amazing roster full of three-point shooters. And for a decent amount of the game, that looked like the, the way it was going to go. It's Unfortunately, team-wide collapse in the fourth quarter. <laughs> Uh, Steph Curry nowhere to be found, uh, and you and I thought really what you saw was talent winning out, right? Look, I mean, the two best players in the league, Kevin Durant, uh, LeBron James, in some order, probably LeBron still first. Uh, they just took over and uh, they got serious. And on the crucial possession of the game, uh, Steph Curry got lost like a four-year-old in a sleeping bag. I mean, he just he had no daylight. He didn't know where he was. He couldn't get a shot off. Um, you know, as Kevin Durant said, you know, it, it spoiled their whole possession. I mean, they, they couldn't even, you know, bail out to a guy in the corner. Okay. What so happened? Exactly. I, I don't know. So right now is what I'm saying is you can't scapegoat James Harden in this situation because not only did Curry pick Harden for his team, he's the GM, but he was also the guy with the ball in his hands with the game on the line. On the last possession, Curry, the second best player in the world, was blanketed by the best player in the world, LeBron James, mm -hmm. and the second best player, or and the third best yeah, player yeah. in the world, Freudian Kevin slip. Durant. Freudian slip. So look, I'm not going to kill him too, too much for failing to get a shot off. I will grant you that Steph's greatest mistake was putting his faith in Harden. And look, I have good friends of mine who have made the same mistake in the past year. So I can't really blame him. I don't want to crush him for that. But uh, 5 of 19, 2, two of 13 from three-point. Yeah. It was a rough night for for our guy, uh, James Harden. But yeah, I think you're you're doing too much. You're, do, you're doing way too much here. I mean, let's give credit where it's due. Let's LeBron talk about was, the actual game well, for I'm, a second. I'm trying to do that. LeBron was sensational down the stretch when he wanted to be. I mean, when they come out... And they have that quick bang, bang, bang pass play with all the motion before to set it up to get the hoop for him. That was awesome. The rolling back to his left three-pointer that you still don't want him to shoot because he's not that good of a three-point shooter. And yet when he needs to hit that deep three-point shot over Embiid, he drains it. And on the clutch possession, I was right there with him. I, I was in the huddle saying, foul up three, like the biggest nerd of all time in an all-star <laughs> game. And LeBron said, trust that we can get a stop. And that tells you one thing. You know, He's a thinker. He knew Curry's tendency. He knew Curry was going to want to over-dribble and try to find a, a window to get a shot off. And, and both he and Durant were right there to shut him down when they needed to. So uh, from that standpoint... Uh, as a, a backer of Team LeBron, you know it, it's just really nice to be on this side of the result. Yeah, I mean, you make an, an interesting point because I was watching thinking the exact same thing. Like, the All-Star game is more competitive than it has been in years, and we'll really know it's real if they start intentional fouling down the stretch. Uh, and we, all, we were very, very close. Um, and so apart from our internal bickering and our ongoing feud here, I think that the... And, 
it's hard because I had a lot of fun watching that game. Our editor, Matt Dollinger, I saw him at halftime, and he was just like, I am so ready to get out of here. I don't care about the game. This the, the arena is lifeless. So I'm not sure how it translated on television, and I haven't really like checked Twitter reactions or, or whatnot, but I, f- I really feel like the new format, like whatever changed worked, whether it was putting up money for the players, whether it was sort of like, putting pride on the line for someone like LeBron, who it's, it really looked like he kind of set the tone for everybody. Like, this was a lot more fun than I expected, and pr- that's partly because I came in with, like, rock-bottom expectations. But uh, I don't know. I think it's a win for the league. Well, during that first quarter, it started pretty slow, and it was pretty dead in the building, and I was starting to really regret, like, the three straight where are all the defense uh, columns that I've written at the last three All-Star <laughs> games? Because they were kind of playing defense, they were mm-hmm. playing harder, and they were not giving up the free blow block well, layups and the, the wide-open dunks. And I was thinking, like, oh, no, did we just suck all the fun out of this game, and now it's going to turn into, like, a you know a, a rock fest. But that was the up. funniest part, because nobody, like, the defense people adjusted, and nobody really adjusted the offense. They were still trying to, like, throw passes off the backboard and do all the crazy all-star shit they always do. And uh, But it did. It, like, everybody kind of fell into a rhythm after that first quarter. And uh, I don't know. I mean, my number one takeaway, and I, it's weird to say this after an all-star game, it's weird to, like, take the all-star setting seriously whatsoever, but I'm blown away by LeBron still doing this at – 33 years old and it's really like in basketball years he's closer to like 35 or 36 because he's playing nine months a year every single season and to do that like a guy is not supposed to be on the throne for this long like he should have passed the torch to someone like KD and then Steph is in the mix and like you've got Giannis coming up and like Next to all those guys, like LeBron was just on a different level the entire time. Yeah, a couple of thoughts. First of all, his third MVP at the All-Star game. He's now one of six players to get three. The amazing stat, backing up what you just said, it's been a decade since he won his last one. <laughs> so, it's like, crazy. And I was spending a good portion of the second quarter trying to figure out how many guys have won All-Star game MVP at an older age than LeBron. I came up with Shaquille O'Neal. When he got that fake shared MVP with Kobe Bryant. Yeah. And then I came up with Michael Jordan. Uh, I don't know if there's others. It's a very short list already. And we can think LeBron could probably have another uh, MVP in him three years down the line. So that's first. The second thing you said, it's it's a win in general because of you know how exciting this game was compared to previous games. A um, couple statistical notes just like for perspective here. So this year there were 293 points scored. Uh, that is down from 374 last year. So we're talking about <laughs> basically what, like, uh, you know, 81 points fewer than last year in a one-year correction. So yeah, clearly something changed. And I think there's a debate about what changed, though, because was it the money, like you said? Was it mixing up the teams so that the, the Western Conference's, you know, more talented roster was spread out, forcing the game to be tighter? Or was it the players kind of looking themselves in the mirror and realizing that things had gotten completely out of hand? Personally, I believe it was the last one. And you heard you heard Dwayne Casey allude to it. Basically, they wanted to change the narrative that nobody cares about mm-hmm. the All-Star game. You heard KD repeat that mantra. You heard LeBron say something along those lines. I just think that's a complicated way of saying, look, we got sick of how ugly the All-Star game was these last couple of years. We just decided to play hard again. And I I put up a a tweet if people want to look at it in terms of like how many points have been scored in the last 10 All-Star games. And what you see is it really was basically a two-year blip. Uh, You know, basically Toronto uh, and New Orleans were just out of control. Everybody just decided not to try at all those two years. The rest of them have been more reasonable you know, combined scores of between like 280 and 320, which isn't, you know, totally out of control to score like 160 points in a game, right? Yeah. So I think for whatever reason, they had the right powwow. Everybody decided to have pride again this year for the first time after basically taking the last two off. And that was the difference. I don't I don't know if all the talk about format changing and all of this really factored so much as just the guys getting sick of their own stuff. Yeah, I mean, whatever it was, I was into it. Were there any other standouts you saw? 
Well, yeah, we have a big standout, the biggest standout, the biggest player on the court, Joel Embiid. I mean, hell to, yeah, man. To to me, and you'll remember when he had his career night in L.A. I said this is a, a foreshadowing of playoff Embiid, right? Like yeah. how the whole game is going to change. He's going to dictate all the matchups. Everyone's going to have to account for him first. What you saw down the stretch of the All-Star game, of all things, was exactly <laughs> that. You saw, you know, Durant and LeBron. Well, LeBron first being overwhelmed one-on-one by Embiid. So then the next possession down, they're sending help. You know, they're yeah. double-teaming Embiid in the post. Um, the entire, you know, that's now you're playing this inside-outside style that basically no one else plays anymore. Uh, and Embiid getting some phenomenal defensive stands late in that game, swatting stuff at the rim. It was awesome. I mean, if I'm a Sixers fan, uh, first of all, I'm probably you know firing off some angry tweets about D'Antoni's substitution patterns late in the game. <laughs> there was shades of Tim Duncan being taken off the court in the finals against the Heat there uh, briefly. Uh, but Embiid... I think he was the bre- you, you you said actually before we taped anything this weekend who's going to be the star of All Star Weekend? I think obviously LeBron wins on one level because of his political back and forth and this amazing statement game as MVP. Yeah, I think Joel Embiid is the second winner of the All Star Weekend. He is, he is, and it definitely like watching him in this game. Obviously, we've had a, a six month stretch here to appreciate his health and like the miraculous recovery and or sustainability that I don't think either one of us would have bet on at the beginning of the year. But uh, watching him in that game, seeing him, like, because you can see him when he's on the floor. He's in a category with, like, LeBron and Giannis and maybe three or four other guys out there, but he's just a, a different level of skill and freakishness and uh and everybody was trying in those moments exactly guys were going really hard and they were having to account for Embiid first yeah and it was it was also very funny to me because every time they would take him off and replace him with Al Horford it was like oh this is how normal centers are (laughs) this is kind of a bummer uh but yeah just watching him whether we whether he was like crossing people up on the perimeter or just I mean he's so massive inside Let's all knock on wood here and let's keep Joel Embiid healthy for the next few years because it's going to get fun here. So speaking of that late game situation, uh, and you got your dig in on Harden. Yeah, do but, we want to talk about Harden's air ball or, or what? Well, I What's think... That's, when's that segment? No, I mean, <laughs> look, he didn't have the greatest game, but I don't even think he was necessarily the worst you know, two guard on his own team okay. uh, in, that, in that late game situation. Oh, here's your DeMar victory lap. <laughs> I mean, look, DeMar played pretty well for the first three and a half quarters, didn't he? Yeah. What did you think about DeMar's plays down the stretch? Um... I, you know, whatever. I'm not. <laughs> it, it, I down the stretch. To be honest with you, I was so blown away by LeBron and Embiid that I wasn't really paying that close attention to everyone else on the court. I will say this. So you graciously gave me your seat down below, uh, behind the basket, and I was asked to vote for MVP because I was there. They asked like a group of guys down there, and for MVP. Like, had Team Steph won, it was setting up to be a very difficult choice. because Like, five different guys had similar scores, right? Yeah, they had very similar scores. I was really pulling for Giannis to, like, put a little bit of distance, or just enough distance so that it wouldn't be embarrassing for me to cast a vote for Giannis. Uh, but I probably would have gone with Embiid. But the opportunity was sitting there for me to troll <laughs> you with a DeRozan All-Star MVP vote. Uh, sadly... LeBron's team pulled away down the or well not really pulled away but won it in the final minute and then the the guy from the NBA walked over and he was like I don't even need these is everybody voting for LeBron voting for LeBron and it was like yep uh so that was pretty simple you want to know something funny though what he did not win the unanimous vote did you know that yeah, because that's like a weird fan thing, right? They they allowed a fan vote in, and one of the fans <laughs> voted for Damian Lillard. Yeah. Are you kidding me? NBA, <laughs> this is your process. You're denying LeBron is just desserts. Well, well, Lillard could have won, too, but D'Antoni well, took him out for the final eight minutes. Yeah. But he had been playing pretty well there, after there, begging his way into the All-Star game. There's a lot of ifs coming from your side <laughs> of, the, of the table tonight. All right. and that's what happens when you collapse on the stretch. All I'm going to say about DeRozan, though, Played a nice game early on, and I'm sure his fans loved that big three-pointer he hit really early in the first quarter. I mean, <laughs> such sign of progress. But hey, late. He wanted no 
part of the basketball is hot potato. I mean, okay. he's trying to get it up so quickly. Missed a free throw badly when he got the opportunity. Throws the ball out of bounds. Crucial turnover down the stretch. I mean, he just didn't want to. He didn't want to be the one who decided the game. And those kinds of things do come out in these all-star formats. If we saw the guys who did, Steph did. You mm-hmm. know, he didn't go his way. I'm making fun of him. Look, frankly, Harden did too. I mean, you're you're making he fun did. of his airball three. <laughs> he did. It didn't head, work out for him. No. But, <laughs> but look, there is a there's a pecking order here. The guys who want to be the guys who decide the game and can actually do it, that's number one. Yeah. Step two is the guys who want to decide the game and they come up short. That's step two. Step three is the guys who want to do it and have no shot at it. (laughs) That's step three. And then there's the guys who don't want any part of it. And that's where DeRozan is. And so I just thought it was a nice illustration of the pecking order there. Um, And Can I just say this as a basketball fan? That is absolutely the coolest part of this whole stupid weekend is seeing the social dynamics played out in all kinds of different contexts because it happens in parties. It happens in like sneaker events it happens in and it happens during the game on sunday and again and not to beat a dead horse but it's wild to me that lebron is still like so clearly the center of all this um so congrats to him for uh being historically ridiculous no and it's also just crazy how he shifts between like I mean, basically calling a racial summit on Saturday. I know, yeah, exactly. And then and and making lots of really, really, really good points and kind of placing himself in this position where he's trying to carry on the legacy of you know Bill Russell and Jackie Robinson and all these guys and, and explaining his him, thought process. He, he's setting the tone for someone like Kevin Durant too, and it's it's very cool. Yeah, and you know, not getting all that much support from Adam Silver either. You know, I mean, yeah. Silver. Kind of tap dance like he did, you know. He did, you know, have some support for LeBron, but you know, not like he wasn't blasting off on Fox News or right. Donald Trump or anything like that. So LeBron was kind of hanging out there by himself on Saturday, and then you know, lights go on on Sunday. He backs it up again. I mean, look, this is like the thirty fifth most impressive thing he's done <laughs> in his career. But we have to we have to give him credit because it's been a really solid two week stretch after a really dark like six week stretch where I think both you and I were like pretty unsure about where this was headed for him in Cleveland and beyond. And, and uh, LeBron just made us both look like idiots. So he closed the night in his post game press conference with uh, some fateful words, quote, LA is built for stars. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Please interpret. What does that that mean? To be clear, he was talking about LA as a host city and we could talk more about that in a few minutes, but, I, I, you know, he never says any of this shit by accident. So I, I enjoyed him stirring the pot there. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, he was going on and on longer than he needed to. Yeah. You know, and that was also like literally wherever I went, whoever I spoke to, that was like the number one topic is what LeBron's going to do this summer, which I guess is, has been true all year. But it was funny to see it played out in this context because literally uh, that was like the icebreaker. It's like, what's LeBron going to do this summer? And uh, there are some good theories out there. Anyway, so let's let let's go bigger picture here. Weekend wide, uh, what are some of the biggest stories? I I, I wrote Devin Booker. Winning the three-point contest, my guy breaking through. Uh, Adam Silver and the possibilities for reseeding. LeBron versus Laura Ingraham, and then Paul George media day, and then we've got a bunch of questions too at the end. So, did, which which of those grabs you? Well, I think the reseeding thing is probably the one of the bigger deals because you had asked me about this a month or two ago, and I said, look, I mean, Silver hasn't really suggested that we've got any momentum one way or the other i mean look at his on the record statements he's just constantly saying we're looking at it we're looking at it he never really says anything i think for the first time in a substantive way he is floating the idea that either one to 16 top 16 teams or reseeding or just some alteration to the current playoff format could be coming down the road and the argument that he seemed to be using was one that i used with you which is if you want to have maximum playoff revenue the current setup when you're basing the whole thing on arbitrary geography is not the way to do it you're cutting into how much money you can potentially make when you don't have the best teams playing each other constantly and that was something that he you know basically alluded to 
uh, even going so far as to saying he wants to see a final situation where the two best teams are playing in that series. And we don't necessarily get that right now based on this East-West format. I actually looked it up. It goes all the way back to 1950. They've been playing East versus West, right? So if he departs from that to do some sort of a reseeding format or to take the top 16, it would be a huge radical change for the league. Like it's not um, something that I can see happening like in a year or two. Like this is the very early seeds being planted. But he said very clearly, tradition's not going to get in our way here. We're not going to keep doing it the same way and not make as much money as we possibly can simply because we've been doing it that way forever. We got to figure out the travel issue. We got to figure out the logistics, how we necessarily want to have it play out so that teams aren't flying from Portland to Miami and back and forth multiple times during the first right. playoff series. But to me, that was a huge headline. I mean, it's like, great. They figured it out. Like, <laughs> he, he doesn't. He's trying to head off, I think, the double-digit blowout losses and all the sweeps that we've seen in recent years. And the best way to do that is to uh, make sure you've got your best teams in the field. I told you, don't quit before the miracle. We're closer than ever. And the one thing that I think can't be overlooked here is if LeBron actually did go to the Lakers this summer, that would kind of jumpstart this process like never before, I think, because then there's no more pretending that like the, that the conference balance is, is even close. Like you're, you're not going to sell people on Kyrie and Al Horford as like a, a Warriors LeBron threat. So you, both your Western conference semifinals would probably would be, be better, better yeah. than the finals. And that's a huge issue. Exactly. So I think, Let's wait and see, but we're close. And also, well, let's say this about LeBron: if his free agency decision breaks a postseason format <laughs> <laughs> that dates back to 1950, that could be that could be his strongest argument over Jordan. In those, you know, it might be. I yeah, mean, it's oh. getting ridiculous. Uh, all right, so let's move on to. Do you want to talk about the Laura Ingraham thing for a second? Um, sort of. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I thought it was a, a master class in shade from LeBron. I mean, saying he didn't know who she was. Uh, I, yeah. Saying she I needed won that. <laughs> because now he figured out who she was. Saying that she just read it off the teleprompter. Saying that she needed to check her facts because he did graduate high school. And making a really, really profound point about that uh, in terms of you know how important education is and, and all of those things. And, you know... Like, what, what can you say? It was just, it was really frustrating. I, I think I was going, coming home Thursday night from something, or maybe, it, I guess maybe it was, it was Thursday or Friday, but watching that video on my phone, it was like not even dog whistle. It was just whistling racism. And uh, I think it's a credit to both LeBron and Durant and just where the league is right now that everybody was able to sort of take that in stride and shut it down without giving her too much oxygen to keep it going. And it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think we could take this in a different direction and just talk about how shitty the last, like, two years of political discourse has been. We don't have to. Well, this one particularly hit home for me because I woke up at, like, 6.45 a.m. this morning to, uh, you know, an official statement from Fox News PR oh, God. From, from her in which she's basically saying, you know, there was no racial intent in Maya Marks. False defamatory charges of racism are a transparent attempt to immunize entertainment and sports elites from scrutiny and criticism. That, I mean, that's pretty much the worst way to ever wake up. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I, can't, I can't really think of uh, any situation, you know, it's like the best would be like the nice calming sounds of the Pacific Ocean or like, you know, raindrops on like a, a metal roof. The worst is, hey, can you please update the story you wrote about this giant controversy involving a cable news host and LeBron James <laughs> with our denial that the cable news host is a racist? Well, yeah, and to be clear, I think what was most racist about it is just that the way, the entitlement she felt to tell him to shut up and dribble and the idea that audiences would connect with that or her, her audience would uh, is that just really is pretty disheartening because um, she's not going to tell like Kurt Schilling to shut up and pitch or any number of random white athletes that have probably been on Fox News a number of times like and so that's that's the the part that really hurt but again 
it's credit to, to the the superstars that the league has right now that they immediately flipped it. And, and I think LeBron said it best when he was like, well, this is just an opportunity to sort of amplify our message. And it's another example of why our message matters and why it's more important to hear it now than, than it's ever been. So it was, it was cool in that respect. But, uh, but again, just like, really depressing that this is just a fact of life now and it's almost a business model in in certain areas yeah it definitely is um i would say just quickly as an aside the players association is up to some big stuff here recently like i don't i think you might have yo michelle came back hard (laughs) yeah so i was i was over there talking to the players association people today at at the team hotel that they had set up for players not necessarily the all-star players but just any nba players who want to come to all-star weekend yeah and they hooked them up with tickets to the game they hooked them up with obviously the hotel room accommodations they hooked them up with all these branding opportunities um, where they can meet these different companies who have stuff that they're interested in, whether it's headphones or high-end stereo <laughs> equipment. There was a Lamborghini. I was, yeah, yeah, it was an opulent setup in there. Yeah, so they were really, really balling. But um, you know, as I, I kind of mentioned to them, I was like, Adams kind of caught in a tough place here. He's not going to pop shots at Trump. You know, he's just not right. going to do that. And so I thought it was excellent that Michelle Roberts issued a statement. She said. You know, between Le- LeBron's 40 million followers and Durant's 17 million fo- followers, uh, Laura Ingram has now introduced herself as intolerant and narrow-minded to 57 million people around the world. We stand with our players. I it was think great. it's very important because this is a ping pong match going back and forth between these two sides at this point. And my big concern coming away from LeBron's, what I'm calling his racial summit, is that he's not, I worry he's only tapping into his own base like he's Mm -hmm. he's got his people but her listeners are not gonna hear what he's saying and and really process his message i don't think at least i just think there's a big gulf there but i do think it's important if people are going to go back and forth back and forth back and forth on this kind of stuff um you need to be ready every single time you need to support your players you can't just put all the burden on lebron to be the guy who just fights off all these people and i think that's a really crucial role from the Players Association, which has tried to find its footing here and how they should best support the players and kind of build them up off the court uh, in recent years. And so I think every time these professional athletes are denigrated by whether it's the president or you know other people in power yeah. or media members or prominent media, media members, whoever it might be, the Players Association needs to get in that conversation. And I like that they did here. Yeah. And as far as the league's role, I think you're right that Adam Silver is in a, a tricky spot, and uh, and he recognizes it obviously. And they they are just being careful, and, and I don't blame them for for proceeding with caution with some of this stuff because I think it's it's a much more natural role for various players and for people like Michelle. Let's move on here. All Star Saturday night. Okay, so we've been over the fact that Devin Booker shined bright on Saturday, came at the expense of my guy Bradley Beal and my other guy, Wayne Ellington. But uh, it was nice to see Devin Booker win it. The the only other thought I have on that contest is that I would have been really depressed if Tobias Harris somehow won it. Um, Should we move to the dunk contest, though? Do you have any other lingering? Yeah, my main thought on the three-point contest is that the – and this is – maybe something people don't care about, but the NBA changed the timing of all the events on Saturday this year. They basically pushed back when the media availability was, they crunched everything together. There wasn't very much time between when they did the availability for all of the all-stars and all the the Saturday night participants, and then Adam Silver's speech, and then the events of Saturday night. Mm -hmm. So as a working media member, it was virtually impossible for me to cover what was happening and actually watch either the three-point contest or the rising star or not the rising stars i'm sorry the skills the skills challenge and that's a bummer like i look forward to those things not like yeah. months in advance but i just didn't think it needed to be as condensed as it was and you know i didn't even really get to enjoy what devin booker was doing because i was like frantically typing up you know the race war that they had uh, uh, that was unfolding between lebron and fox news and then also adam silver's new thoughts on how to change the playoffs so if I would like to, you know, lobby the NBA, spread things out here a little bit. Like, let's go back to the old way of doing the media where we have a little bit more time between when the events. Because, like, imagine you were writing a dunk contest preview. You could never interview the people who are in the dunk contest until Saturday afternoon. Yeah. And the event is five hours later. How are you going to preview that if you're a local newspaper? And I think there's reasons why they're doing it, right? They feel like everything's going digital. It's faster. 
you know, this old traditional like 24-hour news cycle. We're not robots, matter. though. We can't just churn out content on demand. Well, it takes time and attention, and Ben had to miss part of the three-point contest. Yeah, and look, I'm not like <laughs> angry about it. I just think if if you were in an ideal world, you would have enough time so that your entire global audience would get full previews of these events. And they weren't able to do that because you didn't have access to the players who were going to be in there to talk about it uh, or give their own thoughts on what was coming. I will agree with you 100% on that, uh, and I will also add that it felt, purely anecdotally, it felt like all of the All-Star Saturday events went by like that, and it, it was, I mean, I think it was over in like two hours, and it generally doesn't happen that quickly, and while we're on the topic of inside baseball, LA is an awesome city, uh, and I've had a lot of fun the last few days. But there are two things that are super inconvenient about doing All-Star here. Number one, everything is like 20 or 25 minutes apart from each other. And then the traffic extends those trips to like 45 minutes to an hour. And then the Pacific time zone, going back to our, our debate about time zones, when every event starts at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, there's less time for us to actually get things done out here. So that was a little bit of a pain in the ass, which, which nobody cares about, and I don't think either one of us is, are really complaining about. But yeah. I'm not complaining about that because uh, I thought it made the whole weekend go by faster, and I like that we're not up doing this podcast at 3 a.m. That's you know, true. It's like a reasonable hour, so you know we might not be coherent, but <laughs> it would be a lot less coherent if it was... Uh, you know, on Eastern time. But in terms of, you know, the dunk contest, you were right. The dunk contest flew by and there was a simple reason why. There were not the substantive quality dunks that you need to really sustain the momentum of the dunk contest. All you had was the accountrements. Okay, let's get the retro jerseys. Let's get the halftime shows. Let's get dad out there. Let's get sister out there. Let's tell some stories about the good old days, Dr. Duncanstein. <laughs> and you do all these retro things around the edges, but you didn't, you know, have the, you know, the, the top quality complex, like multi-stage dunks that we've seen from recent contests, whether it's Aaron Gordon, Zach Levine, even some of the guys from last year. And so it was a good thing the dunk contest went quickly because they didn't have enough good, good dunkers to carry it. I mean, how many times are we going to see a simple windmill? How many times are we going to see a guy rip off a dunk from 1984 or, you know, 2000 Vince Carter? You know, I mean, it was just imitation is a sincerest form of flattery. But that there was a lot of flattery on All-Star Saturday night. Way too much flattery, you know. And if you're not improving on it, what's the point? We've already seen it. And there was really, uh, you know, two too little innovation and too much imitation for me. And I'm way into the dunk contest. You know, I follow this stuff pretty closely. Yes, you take it very seriously. I graded every dunk. I, I liked one dunk in the entire thing. It was Dennis Smith Jr. You yeah. Know, that was the one complicated, very cool dunk. No offense, you don't get bonus points for jumping over a crouching Kevin Hart. That's like a waste paper basket. <laughs> like a four-year-old. Uh, all right. Yeah, I agree. Wait, wait, I have a question here. Uh, I, will, I will say, I will add to what, you're, what you were just talking about. Don't ever try to recreate a Vince Carter dunk. Because I feel like that dunk contest is sacrosanct. And you're, you're never going to improve on what he was doing. Uh, there were other, I have other Donovan Mitchell's thoughts. But on, that, on the topic of that particular Vince dunk, a friend emailed me. Jack says... The Donovan Mitchell Vinsanity throwback thing at the dunk contest made me think of this, one of my favorite NBA stories of all time from a Raptors-Knicks game. And it's a link to a Deadspin story, and it's a quote. The first part I can't read, but it's, it's someone des describing uh, what was happening at this game. and it's, It was, Charles Oakley can't stop himself barking profanities at the Raptors players across the floor. And again, <laughs> Oakley's comments are, are a little bit too not safe for work. Elizabeth is listening. This is a family-friendly podcast. But then it continues, and this was in contrast to Anthony Mason muttering, Dinosaurs, brother? If I was you, I would fucking kill myself. <laughs> Talking about those original Raptors jerseys. And, uh, and Jack adds, "Is what's hilarious is that I went back and looked at photos, and Vince didn't even dunk in that dunk contest wearing that stupid dinosaur jersey that Mitchell wore. They'd already switched to a more dignified design by the year 2001. 
Uh, which is very true. I noticed that too. Is that he wore that like tacky throwback instead of the actual jersey Vince was rocking, which I owned as a Vince Carter super fan when I was 12 years old. Uh, I, let me just say this: Donovan Mitchell. I think that there were a lot of people invested in his success this weekend, and I'm not saying that the contest was rigged, but I do think that like the judges liked him a lot, and he got a little bit more love than he probably should have for some of those dunks. And I think, I, I actually, I think the, the best thing he did was nail every dunk on the first try, or almost every dunk, yeah, and he, that's, he that's was, why he won. He was the cleanest, he was the most consistent, that's why he won, but the degree of difficulty on all of them was not very yeah. high, especially compared to previous years. And um, I think part of the, the issue was the Larry Nance getting the 50 to eliminate Dennis Smith Jr. in the first round, where he basically just came out from underneath the basket and kind of did a I was windmill. outraged. I, mean, I was like ready to call that the biggest scandal since Donaghy, man. I, like we did yeah. the the dunk contest. Honestly, it was it was pretty good, and I think I think every year there's dunk contest angst, and yeah. so we shouldn't overdo it. But uh, yeah. that was bullshit. We were robbed of Dennis Smith and Donovan Mitchell yeah. in the finals. You mentioned how he was a legacy dunk contest uh, yeah. participant on the last He really milked that. <laughs> in my eyes, that was sort of the Jared Kushner moment for him, <laughs> like getting into Harvard because his dad paid his way, because there was no way that was a 50. That was absolutely ludicrous. And that decision to completely over, you know, give him that great inflation did keep Smith out. And I like that Smith was uh, on Twitter and Instagram just you know kind of venting about how he got screwed. And uh, I thought he did. And it would have been a much better final if it had been between those two. Uh, the good news, though, uh, about this is that it all distracts from how terrible Victor Oladipo was. I mean, oh my <laughs> God. That was one of the worst performances since Harrison Barnes. Yeah, that was tough. Uh, the other thing, too, to nitpick Nance here while we're just burying him for no reason. He didn't even win. Uh, Dwight Howard did the double tap backboard thing better. And so everyone was trying to freak out about how cool that you know double tap on the glass dunk was. Well, hold on, hold one. on. I none, thought Dwight's was better. None of Dwight's dunks were cool because it was they were coming from Dwight Howard. Okay. So. Fair. But like, if, if we're if we're saying technically, you know, as like a piece innovative, of art, as a piece of art, who who did the art better? Again, Dwight's doing this almost a decade ago, I believe. Okay, and bringing back the same concept, not doing it as well, and then trying to like point to the you know uh, replay cameras and say, "Everybody, watch what I did." It's like, well, well, yeah. Just in general, we talked about weekend winners. I think we should give some love to Donovan Mitchell for showing up and being awesome throughout the weekend, pretty much. So I ran into Dr. J on my way off the court. Yeah. Um, actually, I pestered Dr. Just a J. casual run-in. <laughs> actually, I pestered Dr. J until he talked to me after glancing at my credential to see who I was. Uh-huh. And I asked him what he thought of the contest. And he said the right guy won. Donovan Mitchell deserved to win. He said he did what he needed to do in the final round to knock out Nance. And what he really liked was the Dr. Duncanstein callback to Daryl Griffith because... That is a very esoteric dunk contest reference, yeah, or even I, NBA reference, right? I feel bad. I'm pretty good with my hoops history, but Dr. Duncan Stein and Daryl Griffith mean nothing to me. Yeah, that but might, a lot of people were very impressed. That might be one where, like, if they had asked you on Sports Jeopardy last week, you just don't ring in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I thought it was cool. And uh, one thing about Mitchell, his personality, he has a star's personality. He really does, yeah. man. And so, I, I like, we've been getting emails from jazz fans comparing him to Damian Lillard for like the last three months or so. And I, I always kind of do a double take like Dame is, is really impressive in, in large part for his intangibles, which Rob Mahoney did a great job covering a couple weeks ago on his breakaway podcast. Uh, but you see it now. Like I totally see it with Donovan Mitchell. He's just a very impressive dude. And again, as a fan of the dunk contest, I'm a I'm a huge fan of people who get their dunks done on the first try. He, in terms of his personality and his media presentation, he's like coached, but he he takes he has a little edge, like he has just enough yeah. of an edge in a very Lillard like way to not be boring or rote. And it was cool that like he really did have this personal relationship with Griffith. Like it goes back a long ways, and these guys went to the same college yeah. together. And so, I mean, look, it's not his dad, Larry Nance Sr., but like if you're if you're going to milk the whole uh, you know retro angle, you might as well do it for someone you actually care about. And if you learn, if you're leaving Dr. J impressed, I think 
you've done something right. Yeah, and coming into the contest, we said Dennis Smith Jr. was the new Steve Francis. And I think he kept that intact, you know? He got a a little bit screwed. His first dunk on Saturday was not great, so I'm not here for the, like, Dennis Smith Jr. is a victim take. but, uh, But he was still, like awesome enough so that people who know know that Dennis Smith Jr. is awesome and I, I feel like he's gonna have that underground appeal for the next oh, couple years sure. and maybe he'll never break through but still well let's just hope that he feels robbed enough that he has to come back yeah I mean, that's the real key <laughs> hey can I change directions here and let's do it briefly tell my story about how I almost ruined the rising stars MVP vote <laughs> <laughs> sure I guess <laughs> so, didn't even know that there was a vote for that I thought that that seems like the type of thing that fans just vote on when they're cell phones but i'm glad that you were involved well see look you were bragging about how you got a vote for the all-star game mvp earlier and you know maybe it was a humble brag the way that you did it it. was it was sure this is this isn't even a a cool enough thing to humbly brag about so anyways somehow i was picked i think i was picked because i was was one of the 10 media members to show up to the rising stars game so like give everybody a ballot so i was there and randomly i got hungry late in the third quarter so i like ran up to the um uh, the, the concourse and I was channeling my inner sharp. So I was going to eat a really terrible pizza. It wasn't during the national anthem, but I still needed to like scarf down this terrible pizza. Somehow I run into Kiki Vandeweghe's brother who starts regaling me with tales about his son's unbelievable basketball career. This goes on and on. I come, <laughs> I come back towards uh, the court and security is just refusing Hold on. Against, can, yeah. Can we just talk about the fact that Kiki Vandeweghe's brother is the lamest possible celebrity you could name drop at I'm all. Not trying to name drop. I'm, no, but it's just amazing. I love it. I'm, okay. not, I'm not trying to name drop. I was just standing there with my credential and he came up to me. It was a nice okay, conversation. Yeah. He's a friendly guy. And as he put it, which is one of the coolest things I've ever heard, every male in the Vandeweghe family going back three generations is a professional athlete. Yeah, you told me that. <laughs> so, That's pretty incredible. So how do you feel about yourself now? Yeah. <laughs> Not quite so lame Yeah, anymore, and, Ki- and Kiki Vandeweghe's uh, mother, I believe, was a former Miss America winner. Yeah. So, so they're, they're rolling deep. I mean, that's a squad for sure. But <laughs> The more you know, open floor listeners. <laughs> the bottom line was I was trying to get back to my seat so I could cast my vote uh-huh. late in the fourth quarter. And security was absolutely refusing to let anyone go down unless it was a dead ball. And because it's the fourth quarter of the Rising Stars game and nobody cares, no one's calling timeouts. Yo, they told me that early on and I was like, look, it's an all-star game. There's not going to be a timeout. So should I just leave? And I tried every tactic. I eventually just broke for it and ran through it, uh, you know, like capture the flag style. I'm I'm just going for it. Maybe they'll grab me. (laughs) You had to, man. It's Rising Stars MVP. So I get down there and three of like the NBA's lead communications people are running around trying to find me. This is never a good situation to be in. And moral of the story was I was able to just in the nick of time cast my ballot for Bogdan Bogdanovich over Buddy Heald. They had similar numbers. Unfortunately, I think the deciding factor for me is that Buddy Heald is simply too old to be in the Rising Stars game. You shouldn't be allowed to have a falling star in the Rising Stars game. (laughs) So that's why I went Bogdanovich. And Bogdanovich wound up winning. So it's very possible that my late arriving vote was like the tiebreaker uh, between King's teammates. And so... I don't know how good Congrats on that. Let's put that on the resume. Broke the tie in the Rising Stars MVP vote. Look, I don't know how great of a story that was. I'm just saying this is a a symbol of how wacky All-Star Weekend can get. Yeah, all right. Well, let's keep that going. So Kyle says, two-part question for you guys. What was the best sneaker event you went to this weekend, and which brands do you think won the weekend? Do you have any thoughts? Well... The brand that I thought won the weekend was the event that I liked the least because I don't think that it was catered towards me. The Adidas event was unlike anything I'd ever seen. (laughs) It was like a four square block by four square block, just fortress of various things, outdoor concerts. I mean, sneaker creation labs, all sorts of walkthrough technology. They were explaining how they're recycling materials from uh out in the ocean like trash they're picking up in the middle of the indian ocean is now becoming like sneaker boost material yeah i mean they're just going on and on and on with this stuff but it was in a part of town that probably hasn't been developed in a solid 25 years so it had this very like post-apocalyptic vibe but nobody (laughs) thought bigger than adidas is all i'm going to say i got trapped in an elevator with a bunch of the rappers who were pre-gaming and that's a drug reference (laughs) Uh, before thanks grandpa (laughs) 
before their celebrity game. So it was uh, that was a, an interesting moment. I just think Adidas probably won because of how grand their event was. Yes. At the same time, the one that I liked the most, obviously, was the Jordan one. I mean, they had a really cool Jordan quilt commemorating one of his dunk contests. My mom's a big quilter. Uh, that was nice. You know, I'm going to probably send her some of... Uh, the pictures I took for inspiration, maybe she can make me, you know, a some, Jordan quilt. Yeah, why, why not? You know, <laughs> uh, and they obviously were selling the threes, which were hard to get, and that was kind of cool. Um, Nike had a really big event too. Um, you know, Kobe was there working with a bunch of kids. Uh, yeah, Kobe, think, Kobe, and Jalen Rose buried the hatchet at the Nike event on Friday. I think Jalen just kind of kissed the ring. I'm not sure. Well, yeah. 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 I don't know if it was a bearing well, of the hatchet or, or Kobe just flexed on him. What happened was Kobe clarified that Jalen Rose wasn't actually guarding him for most of the 81 oh, point game. So kind. it was it was closure for both sides, I think, which is healthy. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, all this stuff is so ridiculous. It, But I, I like on the one hand, I go to like I got lost at the Adidas thing. I think you did, too. Um and they had a huge concert on Saturday night uh, with like Kid Cudi. I think there, I, I, there were rumors that Kanye was going to perform. There were also rumors that Drake was going to perform and defect to Adidas on stage because he's a Jordan guy. All of this is the like stupid shit you hear walking around All Star Weekend. Uh, but I think for these guys, it, it's it's really funny to watch them compete because they are. I think everybody is kind of guilted into spending more and more money and making all of these more and more ornate. And, uh, it's, it's pretty wild. I I don't know how all of these companies have the, the capital to just like pour into meaningless sneaker exhibitions. But, uh, it's cool if you're. I mean, if you're in Charlotte next year, yeah, well, check it out. If you're Adidas, I mean, you make a wise investment in Derrick Rose, and that pays off for years down the road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, but uh, yeah, no, I didn't think there was a weak one though. I mean, I think all the sneaker companies did just fine, and the number of brands who are getting brands in always on, win at All Star Weekend. <laughs> yeah, I think so. But it's really getting wild. I mean, Mitchell and Ness is out here doing big things. Stan Socks had one. I mean, there's just so many different brands. Um, sports related that have been able to find kind of a foothold in all-star weekend. And I think LA brings out the best of all of them too, right? Like they're all trying to go big because it's LA. Yeah, for sure. Uh, next question. Keller says, who did you guys interact with during all-star weekend? What was the best part for each of you? Any funny stories? Well, it's hard to top Ben's run in with the <laughs> Vandaway family, <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I love all-star cause you, you meet, all sorts of different people. Um, one guy I, I saw at the NBA Tech Summit was Sam Hinkie, and I talked to him nice, for a while. Nice. Uh, yeah, because that that's the situation where, like, most of for people who don't know, every year the NBA has a tech summit for that that's like four or five hours, and it's essentially a series of moderated panels that have the feel of a TED Talk. Uh, a lot of like futurists and NBA owners. And so basically I was sitting there, one of the least powerful people in the room. <laughs> and like at one point I was talking to an owner who is asking about sports illustrated and asking about an impending sale. And I was like, I mean, I don't really, I just write about the NBA. I don't know which executives are interested in buying us. And then halfway through the conversation, I was like, this guy could probably buy Sports Illustrated if he wanted to. Um, Hope you made a good impression. Yeah, but uh, but I did have a really good talk with with Sam Hickey, and the, and he was very cool. Um, and then another one. What about um, Paul Pierce? Yes, Ben and I both interviewed Paul Pierce on Sunday. Uh, I I mostly did, but Ben was was hanging out with me, so he was there for that. Um, and Pierce was awesome. I mean, he's he's the best. Yeah, I took a picture and I titled it "The Truth and the False." I mean, that, that was <laughs> that was that Dude, was really that perfect. Was Paul <laughs> perfect. I mean, I I felt like that summed it up. Uh, Another guy that I saw this weekend who I really enjoyed talking to is I went out to Jason of Beverly Hills, oh. uh, which is kind of like the de facto jeweler for the NBA. He made the 2017 Warriors championship rings. Yeah, and and also just works with like. 150 or 200 players around the league and um and hearing some of the stories from him and and just like hearing the relationships with teams with uh players 
with agents. It's just a very cool corner of the basketball universe uh, that I hadn't really thought about until it occurred to me to go over there and check it out. And uh, and those guys were awesome. So that was that was probably my favorite part is checking out the jewelry and and hearing about that world for a, for like an hour on uh, on Friday afternoon. Yeah, a bunch of things jump out to me. I mean, the obvious ones are, you know, you get guys like Embiid and Giannis in these media scrums, and sometimes you can just bounce a few questions off them and just, it, there's not the pressure of it being like a post-game question or like something that actually matters. So those kinds of interactions where you could just basically throw goofy questions at big stars and see how they react, it, w- it was fun yeah. and, and different. Um, you know, in terms of like the official media scrum, one of the funny things, and this is going to sound like I'm just ripping buddy heel to shreds here but uh during the practice uh during the practice availability they had the guys come in in shifts and so all the saturday night guys came in as the first shift uh-huh. and then team lebron was coming in at the second shift and they had 12 uh numbered stations set up for all the guys and so buddy heel was set up to be no- at the number four station and for whatever reason this huge swarm of media members starts surrounding buddy heel for his talk and, uh, you know, there's like two or three questions about, okay, you're, you know, you're going to be in the skills challenge, you know, tell us about it, whatever. And then pretty much it just goes silent and it's supposed to be like a 15, 20 minute interview session. He's looking around like, are you guys all shy? Like what's wrong with you reporters? Like, why aren't you asking me any questions? Like he's literally saying this out loud. He's like looking to his PR guy for help. And finally, one of the reporters is like, dude, LeBron's going to talk here in about 45 minutes at the same station, so we're just standing here waiting for LeBron. And, <laughs> and the look on Buddy Hill's face was just like a realization and recognition. It was just so painful. So that was uh, one of the... Unintent- We've definitely been too mean to Buddy Hill. I'm sorry. Okay, it's not my fault. I'm just describing a scene that I saw, okay? Yes. That was one. A couple other just smaller ones. Uh, it was nice to see Ernie Johnson. I had done a story about him Uh at TNT last year. Um, and I, I think in general, the TNT guys were so all in to all-star weekend, like guys like Shaq and Charles taking hundreds of photos, you know running what? around, like they really got into it. And you know, sometimes you don't know how that's going to go. Like, you know, sometimes during the playoffs, maybe they're tired at the end of the season or something, but they were like on 11 the whole week. I talked to both Charles and Kenny on Thursday afternoon. And those guys are amazing. I know a lot of people on the NBA internet, don't like them and uh and like resent them for their backwards takes uh but i really appreciate them as just having like perfect uncle takes and uh and they like just immediately like chuck starts railing in railing into like the league at getting soft and how guys used to play three games in three nights and used to travel on play on commercial flights and everything it's just on like they're none of it's a shtick, a shtick. Like they absolutely believe what they're saying, and they're also like super entertaining as they do it. Another really funny encounter. This will be for the Blazers fans out there. You know, still listening from my Portland days. So I went to this Intel event for VR headsets. Yeah, and I didn't think it was going to be anything except for me putting a headset on and saying, "Oh wow, this is cool," and then leaving. And as soon as I took the headset off, they're like, "Okay, here's Steve Smith. He's going to call the game in VR. It's time for you to interview him." And I didn't know that that was going to happen at all. So I was just like, oh, okay, Steve Smith, here we go. So I started asking him, like, you know, buying myself time trying to ask these questions, just whatever to get through it. But then I finally asked him, okay, if you could take one game from your career and replay it in VR, which game would it be? And Steve Smith, who had, you know, had a very, very nice career, goes immediately to 2000 Western Conference Finals Game 7 Blazers versus Lakers and he's on the Blazers and keep in mind this is like the worst moment in Portland Trailblazers franchise history gigantic fourth quarter meltdown actually much like team Steph tonight uh, in the all-star game very similar you know (laughs) a more talented team with the two best players on the court coming back to which one was Harden on that Blazers team maybe all of them a bunch of Harden (laughs) but anyway I was like so I recoiled and I was like Steve what are you talking about I'm from Portland this cannot be the game you want to replay in <laughs> VR uh, of your entire career. Are you nuts? Like, are you some sort of a sadomasochist? Like, what are you thinking? And he's like, here's why. And he just launches into a profanity-laced tirade about how he got fouled by Shaq, about how she never <laughs> should have had this happen. Goes on for five minutes. 
And he says, I want to have all those VR angles so I can send them to the league office and show them how many calls the refs got wrong. <laughs> and I was like, wow. It's That's like, an awesome answer. It's like 18 years later, the guy's not even close to over it, and I love it. That's I mean, a really solid answer from him. Uh, I wasn't sure where that was going, but uh, yeah. Hats off to Steve Smith. It's a great use of VR. Um, the Speaking of profanity-laced tirades, our, my last little memory from All-Star, uh, walking through the hallways of Staples before the game tonight, I, it, was, it was like two and a half hours before the game, and I saw Rashid Wallace and Kevin Garnett, and Kevin Garnett was just banging his fist against the wall, screaming, Fuck! Uh, and breathing heavily because he he had messed up a take introducing a Facebook Live segment, and so I was watching like Rashid try to calm <laughs> Kevin Garnett down, uh, which oh, makes probably relating to us. It aren't makes you? me really really happy that Kevin Garnett is just as intense about Facebook Live as he was playing in the NBA. Uh, just shades of open floor, like screwed up <laughs> ad reads. There, I think it's great. It's yeah. great. Uh, all right, couple more here. John says, what if there was an alien abduction of the NBA All-Stars this weekend? How would the landscape change? Suddenly, Kawhi and Chris Paul are the best players in the league. The Toronto Termites fall off a cliff. The Jazz are suddenly the best NBA team. And Kerr uses some TED Talks to coach Quinn Cook and the Warriors bench to a decent record. What are some other scenarios you imagine? Uh, so, John, the obvious answer here is that Jason Tatum becomes the best player in the league but i feel like that's going to happen anyways in the next few years so maybe it doesn't change as much as he thinks well this is not necessarily something that i've ever really given a lot of thought to (laughs) but what i would say is there would probably be about 420 people declaring for the draft from from around the world first of all anyone with half a chance of getting drafted would be doing it and if you're anywhere in europe and you're over like you know Six foot eight, you're going into that draft. 100%. You're hiring Half of Europe is coming over. You're doctoring birth certificates. You're getting a new passport. You're doing whatever you can to, to fill the void. Another thing that would be pretty funny is, I mean, he said abduction. He didn't say, like, uh, a murder, really. So there's a chance that, like, the league could move on, and then suddenly, like, LeBron comes back to Earth in, in four years. I feel like that would probably be the biggest sports story of all time. Or I mean, it would usurp the the alien abduction at All Star Weekend. I think this just basically sounds like Space Jam too, and we've been waiting for that. Yeah, for I think this is the plot. This is the plot. We just figured it out. Um, and he, and by the way, John adds, "P.S. I'm digging the Instagram stories, Gulliver. Stuff like this is why you have more followers than Sharp." Well, I don't know if that's true because I just started the uh, Instagram stories this weekend. But let me say, it is a nice little feature. Uh, it really is when you're on, when you're on an event, you know, or you're like, you know, just nonstop go go go. You don't have to crop your bird photos for three hours like I usually do. You know, you can just put up kind of a sloppy picture, a little video of Donovan Mitchell with his trophy, uh, and it stays up there for 24 hours. People can look at it, and then it goes away into the ether. It's nice. So uh, I'm gonna try to do that a little bit more. Good little plug, Ben Golliver on Instagram. <laughs> Go ahead and follow me. It's true. My, Don't feed his ego. My okay, con- my content is more compelling. It's richer and it's more, uh, you know, immediate and and, and closer <laughs> to the action than Andrew's is. There's just no question about I, it. I heard a lot about Ben's Instagram stories this week, and also took like five different photos, secret photos of me oh, throughout that, the weekend. Actually, that, I, I take it all back. Everything that I said earlier that was the best part of the weekend does not compare to the experience of watching Andrew watch Jaden Smith's halftime show because... <laughs> I was so out. Well, Jaden Smith can really dance. I mean, this guy really does have the moonwalk down pretty well, but the music part was just very confusing, and you were just trying to comprehend an entire genre and generation, I think, of the world that you've never really put much thought yeah, into Well, before. we've talked about how I don't connect with the rap of today. And I feel like Jaden Smith is exhibit A for that. There was a lot of Batman and Jumpman. That's really all I could hear. <laughs> but the picture that I took of you, it's one for the ages. I'm just fine. I'm, I'm happy that Kyrie Irving and Jaden Smith were finally in the same place. Because Kyrie was courtside for that entire performance. If there was ever a moment that aliens were going to come in and abduct everybody, <laughs> that was the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so Aaron says, what if the All-Star game was was the champs from the prior year versus fi- the 15 best players from other teams? You'd have continuity of the team, 
versus the rest of the league's high-end superstars. It might even resemble an actual basketball game. I included this just to say that the like this is only even within the realm of possibility because of the Warriors. And like yeah. at, at no other point in NBA history would people think it's possible for the title team from the year before to take out an all-star team, but it, it's a it's a commentary on how outrageous Golden State has become. I think it's also a reminder here that it's more important to be selected as an all-star than to play in the all-star game, right? We, the whole point of honoring the best players in the league is that we have a historical record of who was really, 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 really good. That's why we do it. It's not so that we can watch these guys play, you know, 180 to 177 games you know and so the idea of like okay guess what congratulations jordan bell you're a rookie and you're an all-star you know know, looney (laughs) looney's an all-star this year for the warriors you know no that's terrible we don't want to do that um all right moving on one other warriors question before we go anthony says i just watched the all-star game as a concerned golden state fan on the last possession of the game katie and lebron form an octo octo rantula Swarm Steph and stop his team from getting off a shot, ending the game. I was having heart palpitations from 2016 flashbacks. But on top of that, it got me thinking. If you're LeBron and KD, you just saw what you can do together when you try. You are literally playing in Staples Center. You just shut down the only other great player in the league in a clutch moment. The Lakers have two max open spots this summer no, my caps lock button is not broken. Are LeBron and Durant going to the Lakers this summer? I mean, I've been struggling to concoct a scenario where LeBron can go somewhere next year and really challenge the Warriors. You know, I've been racking my brain, Spurs, Rockets. He just did a better one than I've been doing for the last nine months. I mean, we got to give it to him. What I love about the NBA is this is not entirely off the table, okay? Given how crazy things have gotten over the past few years, I mean, everything is in play. And we've, I mean, not we. I have said a lot of things that are, are a little bit mean about Durant over the last few years. I take it all back if he if he turns full heel to, to, to team up with LeBron. All I'm all I'm asking for is LeBron, is Durant to choose a side. He can't be like Mr. Nice Guy or heel. He's he's been kind of like fumbling somewhere in between the entire time. If he just turns around and goes to LA this summer, I am all the way in on that Lakers team. Closing five of Lonzo, LeBron, KD. Ingram Kuzma and Ingram <laughs> squad. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, By the way, they were selling bootleg tees outside Staples Center of LeBron to LA, so that's that market's yeah that market's being pushed. I ha- I heard a good theory this weekend that uh, LeBron this this could all be a leverage play, which I know a lot of Lakers fans think it is to ultimately sort of shake down Dan Gilbert for a long-term piece of equity in the Cavs, which is very much against the rules uh, in the NBA. But it's, I mean, it seems like he's been angling for ownership long-term regardless. um, And it it would make a lot of sense for him. So maybe he, and basically the theory is that it's, it's going to come down to a staring contest in July and he's going to stay in Cleveland. I will say I was walking down the Staples Center tunnel today and Steve Ballmer was on the left and LeBron was on the right and they shared a brief conversation. That's another team. And that was one of those situations where like if we could fast forward LeBron to be as old as Steve Ballmer is right now, does LeBron have Ballmer money? I mean, is it mm. is that impossible? It's pretty difficult to have Ballmer money. I realize <laughs> There's that. A lot of... It's very difficult to be LeBron. I mean, this guy is everywhere. You know, he's got young kings left and right on his Instagram. He's he's got his entire generation of players coming up. <laughs> uh, underneath he is his tampering with like half the league at, at all times. Uh, and, you know, you put him into an ownership situation. He got a lifetime deal with Nike. I mean, this guy's got a lot of yeah big time you know, investments that are going to pay, pay, uh, pay off for him, not to mention all the entertainment stuff. Well, it was the, just, it was just weird to see like, okay, is this, you know, we, we look at Ballmer as representative of the, like the new money NBA owner, the tech guys, right? Yeah. It's not like the NFL owners of like 
a coal and oil barons, right? <laughs> yeah. so is like LeBron going to be the next version of that? I mean, is that where it's headed? It's it's certainly, I mean, that's where he wants to be headed. And uh, he's got a good start. Um, and the, the interesting part is like, I, I could see the Clippers trying to do that. I could see I could see Ballmer trying to do that. Um, the Lakers, I don't think it works because the Bus family has most of their wealth tied up in the team. But anyways, some that's one crackpot theory to think about. And then LeBron and KD to LA, why not? If they do that, it share it, it diffuses the uh, the backlash. Like they share it together. Exactly. Right? Like they, they kind of provide cover for each other. It's also so insane and so exciting that I don't think anyone would even be mad. I mean, you're going to have the, <laughs> like the Laura Ingrahams of the world will be like, oh, the NBA is full of cowards. But I think everybody who cares about sports would be like, holy shit, this is awesome. So You know what the best part of this would be? is that we'd probably get a live Instagram video of Draymond Green's reaction to KD leaving him for LeBron, and it would just oh, be boy. Tear, tear down the internet. If you think I'm in the tank for Steph now, <laughs> just wait till he's going at LeBron and KD for nine months a year. All right, all right, we, na- we now need this to happen. Well, this we, and Space Jam, too. Yeah, let's just hope he gets a shot off. I mean. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, uh, we will be back later in the week with more NBA thoughts. There aren't many games this week, so send us questions and uh, we'll get into it. Ben, thank you. Yeah, this was great. Really good All-Star Weekend productive. We got a lot accomplished. Uh, Let's do some plugs here real quick. Ben.Golliver on Instagram, number one. Number two, openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com for all those questions, comments, and concerns that you just mentioned. Finally, Apple Podcasts, five-star reviews. Andrew, you're reading the reviews now on air, giving people a little shine (laughs) if they come up with nice things. Can I add one thing? Yes, I got a comment from Spike Eskin who said, good idea reading iTunes reviews on the podcast, you fuckface. Because I did blatantly rip that off from the rights to Ricky Sanchez. Uh, And... I, so I think from now on, we're going to call it the Spike Eskin Memorial iTunes Review. So please. Well, let's, let's workshop that one. But. <laughs> Send your reviews, and we will read them. We're going to do it only once a week. But, uh, but yeah, it's been fun. But, and we're closing in on 4,000 reviews, and so we appreciate everyone out there for those five-star reviews. And, Andrew, until later this week, I'll talk to you. All right, man. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.